Okay, can you hear me now? Yeah. Okay, hey. <laughs> Thank you so much for doing this. Oh man, I'm honored, I'm honored. I, I saw you on that big uh, chat we had before and you, I really wanted to talk to you, you know, and, and there's so many people that we couldn't really have a one-on-one -on -one conversation. Yeah. You know, so I thought I'm gonna ask her. And, and I wanna put it up to you. Um, do you want to talk about, well, we can do both. We can talk about skateboarding and art. Yeah. I mean, I've been thinking a lot about it. And, uh, you know, the last time we talked was actually a pretty big event in my life. Yes. Right. So, you know, now that I'm here and looking back on our first conversation, <laughs> Which I still have that and throw that away or anything, you know, because of things that you revealed, you know, I was a little scared, you know, I didn't know how to um, process that. And I didn't know my place. I, I mean, I, I, I tell you, I thought about, I've been thinking about that situation with you since we talked and I've talked to people, I talked to lawyers, I talked to friends, I talked to everybody that I trust. You know, yeah. What do you think? You know, and and and, and, and you know, I always believed you. It was nothing, not about that. But I was thinking, wow, am I going to put my family in danger if I say this? And then somebody comes after me, and da 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 da. You know, it was just so heavy. But and yet, I was so honored that you were that you could be so honest about a thing like that with me. You know. And it's the first time I really ever told anybody in a public way. Like it was a secret. It was something that <clears throat> I hadn't dealt with even to that point in my life, you know? Mm -hmm. And gosh, that was like, what? I don't know, seven years ago, eight years ago that we talked? That's about right. Yeah, about and right. you know, it, it, and then the Me Too movement started not too long ago, and so boy, true. did that bring up a lot of, you know, feelings for me and seeing other victims talk about something that they hadn't talked about for 20 years or 30 years and people, you know, saying, oh, she's a liar. And all the things that are around, you know, what that subject and women and, yeah. you know, how do we deal with things like these when we've buried them yeah. for all these years and we've been in a society that hasn't taught us how to process those types of things. You know, yeah. we were afraid to talk about it in that day and age. We were afraid we were going to be punished and demonized and, you know, told that it was our fault. And that was a big reason why I never talked about it. But, you know, there's been a lot of growth in my life since I last saw you. There's been a lot of things that happened. You know, I don't, I think you know, but I went blind in 2015. I remember reading that. Now I want to interrupt you just for one second and um, let me get your feedback on this. Uh, I just discovered that I can put this live on Facebook and so okay. anybody can watch it now, but I don't want to do that. If you feel uncomfortable about that, I don't even know how I feel about it. I, um, <laughs> you know I don't, I mean? yeah, you know, I don't know. Maybe I don't mind you putting this up. Maybe not live, but okay. I, I don't mind you putting it up. Well, we're just recording right now, and then what I'll do is I'll uh, I'm gonna just take only the audio and put it, you know, on my podcast. 
Yeah, that's, I, I don't mind okay. that. I don't mind you putting the video on either. I really don't. Okay, I'll put them both up then. Yeah, I don't mind. Okay. Um, do you want to make a starting point though that we can edit it to in the sense of, you know. Well, the thing about what I do is I don't do any edit. Like what, what we talk about, the way that it comes out, like this is your story in your own words. I don't want to, you know, I, like. I, I didn't mean edit it. I'm just saying this first beginning part of it where we're talking, do you want to make a starting oh, to reference, point? To reference that? Yeah, because it's like they don't know what we've been talking about. You know what I'm saying? In terms care if of we're just talking, Jana. I mean, I don't care if they know it's it's uh Okay, but I, I you know, because it is something I really want to open up about again because it really uh it really ties into my art and what I'm doing today. That makes sense. Do you wanna say something about it? Because it'd be more wouldn't it be more appropriate if you do or if you want me to say it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I you know, uh, you know, first of all Okay, I want to, I want to say that, you know, for me, my art, um, as an artist, first of all, I, I was an artist, I was a, a commercial artist. And, you know, I've been an artist since I was a child, just, you know, it's like I was an artist before I was a skateboarder. And my mom was very artistic. And, you know, I went to a lot of art classes with my mom before I was even old enough to go to school. Um, she would do that for her own self-care, I suppose, and, and she was very, very creative person. She, you know, was a, she could play piano, she mm. sang, and she drew, and, wow. and my mom was a nurse, and she actually had all these um, portraits of people that were, that she nursed in a psychiatric ward. That's so cool. And I don't know what happened to it, but she had this whole book of, of portraits that she had drawn that were just beautiful. And she had stories about every single person. Mm -hmm. So I definitely have creative genes and, you know, did a lot of art as a child and was like, you know, awarded a lot of awards in my um, grade school. You know, I was one of the best kid artists. Um, but, you know, as you know, uh, I became a skateboarder in junior high school and that yeah. kind of overseeded. I still took art classes and things like that. So yeah. um, doing that, you know, I, I, this is the deal though. What we talked about before and, and what I'm going to mention is that as a skateboarder, you know, there was really not a lot of women there to advocate for young girls. Right. And being in a male dominated sport and having coaches that were male, I ended up being molested and that totally scared me. And I was supposed to go out of the country with my team and I was scared. And so I just decided to save myself that I would quit skateboarding, even though it was a huge thing for me. I mean, I was part of a group of people that started a petition to get skateboarding in the Olympics back in the 70s. And that was a big reason why I never went pro because you had to be an amateur to be in the Olympics. And we really wanted to do that. So I was part of a group of people and I don't remember who else was in it or what that group was called, but I do remember being a part of that and really wanting to do that. And here we are, how many years later? Um, but in terms of my life and after being molested was a real benchmark of going downhill and really 
you know, being traumatized and not understanding it, hiding it, you know, and having parents that weren't involved in my life to the point where, you know, I'm a champion skateboarder, number one in the state, I'm quitting skateboarding and nobody in my family asks me why. Why is that? I did, you know, my mom had mental illness. My mom uh, was diagnosed with bipolar uh, when she was 69, but she was depressed uh, pretty much since I was 11 years old. Yeah. And that came about because her parents moved here from Missouri. And I really believe that she was an abused child. And when her parents moved here, she was re-traumatized and went into some kind of, you know, depressive place yeah. because she didn't know how to deal with it. Yeah. So that kind of behavior, of course, affected me because this was my mother. This was my caregiver. This was the yeah. person that was home with me. And I never really could connect with my mom emotionally, which, you know, is a real big reason why I've had a lot of the problems that I've had. And um, because you didn't connect with her, you didn't feel uh, validated. Validation. Right, I didn't. And my mom was one of those Christians that just put me down all the time. She didn't want me to be a skateboarder. She didn't want me to do anything that was perceived as masculine. And so I didn't have support for that. You know, it's like I was. You know, hey, the women of my age, we were really some of the you know, first women or the women in our generation breaking gender rules. True. You know, we were doing things that guys were doing and we were kicking ass at it. And, you know, I know that I got a lot of heat, not from skateboarders, but from school. Mm. You Why know, my How so? Um, you know, people, guys, you know, the in crowd, the people that, of course, you want to be approved by. Um, those guys were very much like, oh, you should have been a guy. You don't make, you know, like I'm terrible at being a girl and those kinds of things where it's like, I didn't feel accepted yeah. and normal yeah. because I like to do the things. And, and for me and my inner thoughts were like, you know, Hey, this is what I'm good at. What, what's the deal here? You know, it's like, so I'm a girl, but this is what I'm good at. Why would I not do the things that I'm good at and that I enjoy? I was going to say, just you must've loved it too. Girl, you yeah. know? So I just had a lot of inner conflict about it because, you know, of course I wasn't accepted at home. Then I'm at school and I'm not being accepted by boys you know, the girls loved me because they were just like, you're badass. Mm -hmm. But guys, you know, a lot of guys, you know, of course, some guys, of course, dug it. They were just like, yeah. oh my God, you're amazing and wanted to be with me. But I think, you know, in terms of our peers, a lot of times we have our own judgments of wanting to be liked by certain people. You know, we're humans. We want to be approved of. I wanted to be approved of. In fact, that was one of my main motivations throughout my life that I didn't understand because I wasn't approved of at home. Oh, uh, and so you're trying to, what, replicate that as an older adult? Yeah. I mean, I've really, as I've healed, I've really had to look at, you know, people pleasing. And even though I've been a very kind of honest, abrasive <clears throat> person throughout my life in the sense of, you know, I kind of had a very... I was a very angry teenager, you know, I was, I was just like, 
middle fingers flying, like, if you don't like me, too bad. But inside, there was a different story going on. You know, of course it hurt me. I cared. I cared if people, you know, I wanted to be perceived as a normal person. Who doesn't? You know what I mean? It's like, when you don't, when people say things to you that make you feel like you're way different than everybody else, it's almost like, you know, when I look back, it's like, it's a good thing to walk to your own beat, but then it's not. Why because, is that? you know, people want to kind of normalize everything and, and, and hang with the herd. And I really wasn't in that herd mentality, so to speak. But as a human being, of course, I still wanted to be liked and loved. Because and, those and, are natural human things. Yeah, in the, in, the, in the sense that I didn't get that at home, you know, I was trying to get it other places. And, and that's exactly what set me up to be a victim of molestation. Somebody giving me attention, somebody saying they loved me, somebody saying that they were attracted to me was like, oh my God, you know, this is the thing that molesters do. They groom you. And when I watched the thing about Michael Jackson and those kids, it was like they were talking about these issues that I'd never even heard about of how these people worm their way into children's lives and even the parents of getting the parents to trust them with their children. So, you know, that whole psyche of wanting to be accepted and, you know, definitely into that. played into me having that experience. Um, and it's really interesting because I think it was um, Damon Dodge that sent me a videotape <clears throat> uh, of a movie that was made of 70s skateboarders. Mm. And I was in it <clears throat> and I got it a couple years ago. And it's really interesting because even though I know what I looked like throughout my whole life, I still had this sense of like when I was looking through the video, looking for myself, I was looking for somebody masculine. Why? Because of the way that I felt about myself and the way that people treated me. And when I saw myself in the, in the video, I saw this beautiful young girl and I didn't remember myself that way. And it really struck me as like, wow how affected my own psyche was in terms of how I looked at myself back then. And that in a sense, still as an adult, even though visually I could see myself in pictures and think, you know, that I was a cute young girl, I still didn't see myself that way. And when I saw that video, I cried because I was like, that wasn't true. Right. None of that stuff was true, and yet I believed it, you know? And, and you know, these are just human things that we go through, and, um, you know, it's taken me a long time to heal and to gain some kind of, I don't know, a reality of who I am. And, not, and my identity of not seeing myself through the lens of, of, in a sense, my programming of how I was raised. I was going to say, I wonder what caused you to see yourself as masculine. Is that oh, because I was teased a lot. In fact, I was even asked by somebody in my 20s if I ever wanted to be a man. And I just remember going, what? 
And I cried that day and went home and talked to my dad because I was like, I don't get it, dad. You know, like, why do people ask me this question? Why is this something that people talk to me about? What is it about me that puts forth this persona where people think I want to be a man? I've never wanted to be a man. And I've enjoyed being a girl. Yeah. Was I a tomboy? Yes. Sure. Do I like doing things? Am I, you know, I'm really good at, you know, in terms of as a sculptor and, you know, somebody that I'm great with tools. I'm great with building stuff. I'm great with, I just have that kind of mind. And I was the first girl to take wood shop, metal shop, and drafting, and I got A's in those classes and student of the month. So there's yeah. something in my DNA or whatever that I'm really good at this stuff. And because I've been good at those things, a lot of times I've gotten a lot of, a lot of uh, pushback for like, those are things that guys do and you're, and that makes me manlike. And, <clears throat> you know, so that's just something that, you know, was very hard for me in yeah. terms of my identity. Yeah, that's interesting. I, you, I had a similar thing, you know, when I was young. I was talking to somebody last night, and uh, being Japanese, they're asking me about uh, prejudice because of the Trump calling the thing a Chinese virus and blah, blah, blah. They asked me had I experienced that, and I said that when I was young, I was raised with all white kids, and um, I thought that's, that maybe at a certain age I would not have these eyes, that I would grow out of them. Oh, wow. Well, I had an identity thing, too. Not, not like you, but, uh, you know, similar. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think this is kind of a normal, you know, in a lot of ways it's normal for us to have these issues. And, you know, I think that, you know, it's a human thing. We're humans. We have weaknesses. We have strengths. And... You know, sometimes when our strengths are different than a lot of other people's in the sense of our identity and what we're good at, you know, uh, society tends to knock us down yeah. and not accept us. And, um, and you, know, I, I, you know, I don't, you know, in life it's like, hey, we all go through these things and I'm kind of grateful for the experience because of you know, who it's made me to be in terms of, you know, seeking a person who has sought healing and understanding. It took me a long time to get to that place to realize that I needed to heal. Right. And, you know, my art as a fine artist, the very first thing I did was a thing called Indigenous. And the piece that's behind me is one of those pieces. And it's about indigenous people, but it's just about that. We're all connected. We're all people and we're all a part of each other. And that's why I call it indigenous us. And it is a call for empathy for others, for others that have been conquered and trampled and traumatized because tribal people have been traumatized. Yeah. And honestly, when I started it, I didn't know that's, I didn't know why exactly why I was doing it. It was something I had to figure out because I hadn't really understood my own trauma and I really hadn't understood why I had this affinity for people who had been treated badly right. and why I had this deep feeling for them right. and 
you know, kind of connection to them. But I believe that the connection that I have to my work is about people that are victimized that need healing and that we as humanity, you know, can be a part of that. We can be a part of that healing uh, for the marginalized and, and, and people that have gone through things that, you know, a lot of other groups of people haven't had to go through. Right. You know, and I think as a woman, you know, we're one of those groups that have been victimized in a lot of ways. And I think we're in a society that's kind of finally looking at those things and saying enough. And that's the one thing I can say I love about the millennial generation is they're kind of like this thing that's like enough abuse already. You know, stop abusing gays, stop abusing women, stop abusing minorities because it's just not right. I think that, you know, at this time, people are just sick and tired. And, you know, the group of kids that, that our generation has raised up, they're kind of at the point where they're just like, you know, things have to change in this way. And so I feel like I'm a part of this multi-generational waking up to wanting to change society in the sense of not accepting abuse, not, not accepting, standing up, talking about what happened to us, talking about, and talking about how do you heal from this? Because I've been on that journey of healing and I have had tremendous success. That's wonderful. At doing this. And, you know, I, um, after I went blind, you know, when I went blind, it was an autoimmune disease and autoimmune diseases are mostly women have them. You know, a lot of studies have been done that it's caused from trauma. Okay. That makes sense. And that these, you know, it's when your body starts to attack itself. Yes. And my body was attacking my optic nerves and I went blind five years ago in April on April 4th. So five Where were you located when that happened? In California I was, or? I was. I was in North Hollywood at that same house you came and visited me at. Yeah, okay. So, you know, I ended up being in the hospital and, and I wasn't blind yet. The first week I was in the hospital, I just had terrible pain in my eyes. Every time I moved my eyes, my eyes hurt. Mm-hmm. I went to the doctor and they said, it's allergies, take these allergy medications. But if this doesn't work, please come back. In three days. Right. So I took the medicine and it didn't work. And I came back and they sent me to a neurologist, ophthalmologist. I went and saw her immediately. And she looked into my eyes with, you know, all of her equipment. And she said, she put her hands on my shoulders and said, I am very concerned about you. And I need you to walk across the street and put yourself into the hospital. I will meet you there later. And, you know, I was just like, what? <laughs> you know, that just yeah, scared the crap out of me. And I wasn't blind at this point. Right. I was having like, it was almost like I was looking through a mist and I had this pain in my eyes. So checked myself into the hospital. They did all these tests. Right. And I was in there for a week and they couldn't find a reason why. I did not have MS. I did not have any underlying disease. They did not know why this was happening, but they didn't really explain to me. So when I went home, I was like, okay, well, I guess I'm cool. 
you know what I mean? Like they didn't give me any diagnosis in the sense of they said you have bilateral optic neuritis, but there was no underlying cause. So I didn't really understand the seriousness of it. Right. So I was really beat up after that because I had had brain scans, you know, um, I'd had um, like two or three spinal taps during that week, like all oh, kinds wow. of crazy stuff. Wow. And they put me on steroids and I didn't know, I'd never been on steroids before, so I didn't know what that meant either. And I was put on, uh, you know, uh, corticoid steroids and I was getting a thousand milligrams a day. Whoa, that stuff can make you trip out. Yeah, and that stuff is like snorting cocaine or something. You know what I mean? You're completely like, woo, you know, you're high as a kite in terms of adrenaline because it's fake adrenaline. Yeah, it's trying to make you sort of come up you know, to the task. What? It's trying to make you sort of heal yourself, you know, be a super person in a sense. Right. Yeah. So, you know, first of all, I didn't know what the, what the side effects were of that. And, and I was just feeling terrible. And so that next week that I got out of the hospital, I rested and I went to the doctor and I'm just like, I need to lay down. Like, I don't feel good. They had no place for me to lay down. And I waited like an hour and a half to see the doctor. And when I was supposed to go back, I'm just like, I can't go back. You know, I can't go back to this doctor if I have to wait. I am too sick right now. Right. And so I didn't go back. And you know, I was feeling kind of better and better throughout that week. Uh, and, and at the end of the week, my brother and my husband took me out to see a movie and everything was cool. And then it was Easter Sunday of 2015. I woke up that morning and I was completely blind. And I wasn't scared. It really? was the weirdest thing. I was not scared. What I was afraid of was going back to the hospital. And I didn't. I didn't. You did not. I did not. I actually went to church that Sunday. My brother and my husband took me to church. I was completely blind. I sat at church. And it was just something that kind of, I don't know, it just kind of like, ah, whatever I heard that Sunday was kind of just like something I felt like I needed to hear. You know, it was kind of, you know, about love and 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 God's love for, for us. So, um I ended up, okay, so that was Sunday. Monday, I was in a, I was in a group of women, um, and it was, a, it was a group for women who had had trauma. And so I decided I was going to go to that group. Blind. Why? No, blind. You're blind. blind. I did. I went blind. You didn't curl up in a ball. You like went to some group thing. Blind. I went to this group, and I just told them, I said, look, this is what's happening to me. Please pray for me. You know, and um, my husband dropped me off and picked me up. And um, and then Tuesday, I decided I wanted to go see a um, an acupuncturist because I was just like, you know, I don't know about this Western medicine. Yeah, I was really why scared. not? Why not try that? Yeah. I was really scared. So I went to him. And then when I got out of there, my husband's just like, okay, this is it. I've had it. I'm taking you back to the doctor. This is ridiculous. <laughs> And I'm like, okay. So uh, he took me to the doctor and she was pissed at me. She's like, what are you doing? And I can't believe that you've been walking around blind and, you know, uh, this is terrible. You need to go right into the hospital right now. And this is how scared I was. I looked at her and I said, look, it's 4.30 in the afternoon. 
So I'm going to go to the hospital tonight. They're not going to do anything. You're not going to come over there. It's 430. I said, please let me go home and sleep in my own bed. And I will put myself in the hospital in the morning. And so she let me do it. And there was a part of me that felt like, well, it must not be that bad because she let me do this. You know what I mean? (laughs) So then I got, you know, I went to the hospital, but this is where it gets, you know, really amazing and probably weird for other people. But so when I was blind and I'm in the hospital and I'm by myself in my room and I'm totally in the dark and I start to have this vision and I'm seeing myself hanging at the end of a rope in a fetal position. And all of a sudden this voice behind me in this dark place says, let go, let go. I've got you, let go. And I let go, like I literally surrendered. And it was like I was caught by clouds of love and then And then it was like I was surrounded by this feeling internally of being completely loved. And I was literally taken back to, to, it was almost like Scrooge. You know what I mean? Like I was taken back to these places where in my childhood, I was shown how disconnected my mother was from me. And I was shown this vacation that we went on where... Uh, There was this 18-year-old daughter of the friends of my father where we stayed in their cabin, and she was just so loving to me and just kind of doted on me and put me Mm -hmm. on her lap. And Mm -hmm. by the end of our vacation, I was like, I don't want to go home with this family. (laughs) I want to stay with these people. And I was only four years old. Whoa. Uh, And so, you know, it was kind of like, I was shown that I was that disconnected emotionally from my mother and that I was not getting this tender, loving care that I desired and that I had really lived my life without that. And I had became a person who was, who was giving and gave and gave and gave trying to get something back. And that, (laughs) that moment in that hospital showed me that I was blind to that I was loved. I really didn't feel loved. And that I got to experience a love from inside of myself, you know, like a love from God that I'd never experienced before where I felt so much joy and so much peace and so much safety. Like here I am blind in the dark and I felt more secure and more loved and more at peace than I'd ever felt in my entire life. And it was so powerful. And when people, and the other thing is, is that I did have so many people that loved me and friends that I could not really take in. I didn't know how to take that in. I didn't know how to really accept love from people in a lot of ways because the nurses at that hospital were like, we've never seen this many people come to visit one person. Right. Right. 
you know, and yeah. you are so fortunate that you have so many people that love you that are coming to see you. And, you know, so it's just like, I was being taught such deep lessons at that moment. And that, you know, and, and, you know, this is the thing. It's like, we don't know what we don't know and we can't help it. And we can't help the way that our minds have been programmed and, True. you know, addicts, and, and people that suffer in this life, it's like, uh, it's because they've been programmed and they don't value themselves because they don't know how. Yes. They don't know how, and I didn't know how to value myself. And yeah. that's why I, but I, but out of that, I learned how to value others but I didn't know how to value myself. And, you know, that's such a painful way to live your life, you know, because you don't know how to take care of yourself properly. You know, you don't know how to do those things because you were never trained to esteem yourself, to feel good about yourself. And it's an, and it's a, it's an unconscious habit, you know? So, I think for me going through all this stuff has just been such an eye opener and such a, you know, it, it, I've, I've educated myself on, you know, on the unconscious part of humanity. And, you know, it just makes me, I guess it's given me so much more empathy for people and so much more compassion for myself. And that is what has helped me to heal is to be able to overcome that inner critic, that inner, because I was trained to be, you know, very critical of myself because yeah. I was raised in a critical religious home, yeah. you know, that made me feel bad about everything I did wrong. So I didn't know how to make mistakes and be okay with that. You know, I learned how to just. Oh, there you are. There I am. Anyway, I, th you know, I think there's, there's really new models of how we see addicts, how we see codependents, that codependents are people that, that are in trauma, that are in crises, and they're trying to help the person they love, you know, and things like that. And, and there's, you know, there's new ways of looking at these things that I'm learning about. And honestly, it's like, you know, this whole story that I'm telling has everything to do with who I am as an artist now. Um, that my work really is a call for empathy, you know, that we have got to put ourselves in other people's shoes and train ourselves and, and educate ourselves in, um, you know, what goes wrong with people's lives and, and how do people heal? And, you know, my life was not easy because of my childhood. Yes. And, because of the way that I was trained to view myself and, and my worldview and, you know, and because of that, you know, of course I was a rebel skateboarder with two middle fingers up going, if you don't like me, fuck you. Yeah. I don't care because I really did show that persona. Like I don't care how you see me, but I did. That was a lie. That was a, a mask that I wore. Yeah to save myself you know what i mean because it's the only thing i knew to do right you to, know let me ask you a question uh 
my daughter who's 17 i we talk a lot and uh what I, her name is kate and i always tell her when 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 she's having rough times i tell her to i tell her you know kate treat yourself the way that you treat others right because she's a mama bear and she's smart and she's protective and she's loyal she's loving yeah and i tell her that you know what can other people that are going through things that you've gone through do to to get to where you're at well you know the thing is is first of all is that i didn't realize how badly i treated myself when i made a mistake I didn't realize how hard I was on myself because I was raised in an atmosphere where I was taught because that's how I was treated by my mother. My dad dad didn't treat me that way. My mother did, but my mother had a huge impact. And I do believe that whatever parent we have a problem with the most that we can't connect with is the one that programs our minds more. That's interesting because they get more of our attention uh, because it's a conflict that we have. And yeah. when we're in conflict, that affects us more than, than what's easy. Yes, I agree. You know? And so my dad was a doll. My dad was so wonderful and so, you know, amazing. And I'm going to give you one example of what my, that my dad was like and what my mom was like. Yeah. So when I was 28, I got an opportunity to become a sculptor for Disney, uh, for Disney Imagineering. Well, I worked there for a year and a half and then I got fired because (laughs) literally I was told in front of the guy that hired me that if, if he could make his work look more like mine and that my work was, yeah. So I was like, uh Oh, and now the guy, fires me because he's threatened now because the guy's telling him that's the kiss of death and this is the guy that gave me the opportunity and i would have never turned on him or tried to overshadow him by any means but you know he fired me so i got a job uh and it was working on um it was working on um gosh it was a movie by disney and it was uh it was about three witches. I can't, Hocus Pocus. Oh, yeah. So I got the job doing all these sculptures for the movie Hocus Pocus. And I was going to do my first human sculpture and it was an angel. And so I was so excited. So I come home, I walk in the door, I'm living with my parents still. And I'm like 28 years old because I'm trying to reboot my life. Mm-hmm. And I, um, come home and my dad's there and my mom's down the hall and I'm walking and I'm like, Oh my God, I just got this job and I'm going to sculpt an angel. And my mom is in the bathroom looking at herself in the mirror and she turns and my dad's behind me and she says, what if you can't do it? What if you mess it up? Whoa. That's the first thing she says. And I'm just completely like, Oh God. And my dad puts his hand on my shoulders and says in my ear, honey, you'll just do it over again. Don't worry about it. If you mess it up, you're just going to do it over. Don't worry. So it was almost like I had that angel and devil, you know, as parents. 
the two voices, yeah. You know, the, the devil on one side and the angel on the other, but the devil affected me a lot more right. than that angel. The devil got more attention. The devil got more attention and, and programmed my mind to really think that there was something wrong with me. Yes. I thought something deep down, I thought something's wrong with me. I'm not normal. You know, people don't like me. They don't like what I'm doing. And as a matter of fact, a memory just came up that when I was molested and I stopped skateboarding, this is what came into my mind. Guys don't like women that are successful. If mm. I'm ever going to get a man, then I better not be successful because they don't like that. Mm. I literally thought that to myself. Right. You know, and that is being programmed by society. Yeah. And, and seeing, oh, if you do this, this is what happens to you. Mm. And then not wanting those things to happen to you. So then you end up sabotaging your life unconsciously because you just made a belief system based on your experience. And that's all the origin is that you were programmed. Well, because we, because our beliefs program us and we can say, Oh, I believe this and I believe that. But what really shows our beliefs is how our life ends up being. Mm -hmm. If I say I, I, love myself and I'm this and I'm that and, and I feel good about myself or, and then my life's a mess like this. It, it's because my real belief is that I don't feel like I'm good enough. Mm. You know what I mean? If you're yeah. always trying to prove how good you are, mm -hmm. it's because you don't believe that you are. That's true. Yeah. And yet in your conscious mind, you think you're trying to show Hey, I'm good because I believe I'm good. Can't you see how good I am? Mm -hmm. But underneath that, it's denial. You know, we have denials. Right, right. And I think a lot of healing is understanding what denials that we have and giving up those denials because in a way, our brains are made to work that way. It's not our fault. True. It's not our fault. Our brain, True. we have a nervous system and my nervous system was worn out. That's why I went blind. I truly believe that. I had been under so much stress. During that, when I went blind, it was five years after my mother died, and she lived with me for six years. Mm. And so I was involved with my mother and taking care of her in, you know, before she died. And it was hell. It was a lot of stress. I wasn't taking care of myself because I was a caregiver, yeah. you know, and it wore me out. And it took five years for all of that, I guess, to catch up with me. But after my mom died, I did start to seek um, some healing Yeah. because I finally got to a place where it's like, I need to heal. I and I didn't feel that way in my life before. I was in denial. I didn't know yeah. I needed healing. You're just functioning. Right. And, you know, it's funny, but if you look at Trump, he's kind of one of those people that has had childhood trauma that doesn't think he needs healing. I was going to ask you, do some people go through what you went through but never ever have the ability or the time or the intellect to uh, save themselves? I do believe that. And I believe Trump's one of those people because if you look, I mean, 
I can actually relate to him because he is one of those people that has to win. And I was one of those people that I wanted to win. I wanted to win because I wanted to be approved of. I wanted to prove to myself that I was good, that I was good enough, that I deserved to be loved. And what happens, I believe, what I've learned that's happened in the psyche is that when you get to a place in your life where there's an us and a them, you're in inner conflict. Yeah. And... I got to heal that inner conflict. There is no more us and them. Yes, I'm a human being. And yes, do I get angry when I see people doing certain things? And sure. But the thing is, is because I'm a human being who has had the privilege of healing. When I look at people like Trump, I just see a, a, a child that has been brutalized, that hasn't healed, that needs to win, that needs to feel loved, that has to, who has, you know, serious you know, in a sense, mental illnesses that keep him in that place. And, you know, for me, honestly, suffering is what brought me to the place of healing. I was suffering so much. It's like, how do I get out of this suffering? Yeah. How do I get out of this? Because I am suffering so much and I don't understand why. So I needed to understand and my and i would not trade it for the world because i do believe that suffering produces empathy and compassion yes and if you haven't suffered you know what is this um what do they call it um privilege if you're privileged if you don't suffer and if you're privileged you don't know what suffering is and so you can't feel for other people that suffer yeah you know, and for me, it's like I've suffered a lot internally, mentally, emotionally. And, you know, unfortunately, after I went blind and had that beautiful vision, um, I had to take prednisone for a year. Oh. And I was on 60 milligrams a day. And when I started to go off of it, I would go blind again. Oh. And so what happened to me, which I didn't understand at all because I was really in this process of going to therapy, of doing EMDR, of, of trying to heal from trauma. Yeah. But what I didn't realize, and my therapist, she was so good. She's like, Jana, I think what you're dealing with right now is not mental. I think it's a physical issue. Mm. And I was in this place where I was panicked all the time. You know, when I moved to Arizona, I had just gone off of prednisone. Okay. And I was feeling panicked. But there was another part of me, that strong person in me, that's just like, okay, great. You know, I'm off the medicine. I'm going to be an artist now. I'm going to get into the studio. I'm going to recreate my life. And I had no power to do so. Mm. And I didn't understand it. And that is when I started to see how hard I was on myself. And I was, that was being pointed out to me, like, God, you really, you know, expect a lot from yourself and you really have very high standards for yourself. And when you don't, and when you don't meet those expectations, you just go into this, you know, downward spiral. Well, um, I'm going to doctors and stuff and I'm, not sleeping. 
Yeah. I, I didn't sleep for six nights the first time, and then it went to 11 nights. And, and, deprivation. and then 17 days. And Whoa. I was, I mean, I was crazy. I wanted to die. I was so, I was just like, I told my husband, I'm like, I don't know what is happening to me, but I am so panicked all the time and I can't sleep. And all the thoughts in my head literally were like the things that my mother had said to me my whole life. It was the weirdest thing. It's like all I could think about was all these put downs and all these things and I couldn't control it. And I was trying, I would, I would meditate, I would go out for walks, I would just, and I was hearing things of like, I needed to praise myself. I needed to like say good things to myself. Right. And I would go out and do these things and I would feel good for those moments. But as soon as I let down and relaxed, all this panic, all this stuff was coming back in. And I was seriously mentally ill over these last, you know, from 2000. Uh, 16 or I would say even when I was blind because I was on that medication and I was really hyped up and yeah. because I'd had that beautiful experience I was just really hyped up and and I was you know I was just in a place that I don't think a lot of people could understand right so when I came to Arizona and I was having all these problems and not being able to uh, realize my dreams, I was really disappointed because I'm just like, what is going on? And I really felt like, am I doomed to be mentally ill like my mother? Mm. Even though I've gone to therapy and I know a lot more than she does and I feel like I'm educated in this, mm -hmm. how is this happening to me? Right. Well, my friend's like, hey, go to this um, naturopath that I go to. You know, maybe he can help you. And at that time, I had had a prescription for an antidepressant. And honestly, yes. Ken, I didn't want to go on more prescription medication. Sure. I just didn't. I yeah. felt like I'd been poisoned already. And I'd been off the medication for three and a half years. And it's just like, I don't want to go on more medication. So I decided I'm not going to go on this medication until I go to this naturopath. Mm-hmm. So I went to the naturopath and I told him my history. I told him about the blindness, about the prednisone. And he looked at me and said, I know exactly what's wrong with you. I know what's going on. Wow. And I can help you. And I, it was like, I cried because I was like, really? Are you serious? Like, you know what's going on? And he's like, yeah. And he basically said that when you take prednisone for that long and that high of a dose, it's like turning your nervous system up to 10 and you cannot think your way, meditate your way out of it mm. because your nervous system has been medically changed. Chemically. Chemically and medically changed. And I, and I found out that there's a thing called pharmaceutical trauma. Mm. And I was experiencing pharmaceutical trauma because my nervous system was now operating as if I was, I had post-traumatic stress disorder basically. Okay. And it was really bad because I, you know, I couldn't sleep. I was just having these horrible thought patterns that were just so negative and so destructive. And I had no control over it. Well, this guy was just like, you know what? Um, this is what you need to do. And he, I took CBD oil three times a day. Mm -hmm. I took this stuff called taurine. 
and I took some stuff called banaba leaf and I shut everything down at night. Didn't look at screens, yeah. you know, yeah. got back. And, and the first night I took CBD oil, I actually slept. Wow. So from April uh, of last year, when I saw him, I have been on this healing path. Even though I was on the healing path, I wasn't able to heal because I didn't know what I needed to heal. Yes. And so because, you know, I found out that, you know, I do believe healing is body, mind, and spirit. It's a threefold thing. Mm -hmm. You know, we're all of these things and, and we need to heal on all those levels because I hadn't healed on the body level. I couldn't heal because my nervous system had been so messed up from the medication. You thought it was mental. I thought it was mental. I thought, and I, you know, I just thought I'm just, I guess I'm just doomed to be mentally ill. I don't know. And I really did not want to live anymore a year ago today. And so, you know, I'm just like, I just wrote the doctor a review finally. I said, this is way overdue, but you know, I am so thankful that I went to a naturopath that knows the body as a whole system because our medical system is good in the sense of if you're traumatized, you know, they allowed me to get my eyesight back Yes. because of the ways that they treated me, but that harmed me in a really insane way. Was it the chemicals that got your eyesight back or was it the epiphany? Uh, it, was, it, was, it was the prednisone coupled with um, a thing called plasmapheresis where they take your blood out of your body and run it and take the plasma out. And then they put something out, this albumin, which is kind of like a clean form of plasma. And then they give you another human being's plasma plasma and that because did it. that gives your body a break from the antibodies that your body's producing through your plasma that is attacking your system so that's so in an extreme autoimmune case that's a therapy that they do that's a therapy they do yes mm -hmm. so um you know that saved that saved me because after they started doing the plasma phoresis is when i started to get my eyesight back Okay. And then I'm on the prednisone. The prednisone helped me to keep the inflammation down once that happened. And then every time I tried to go off the prednisone, I'd start to go blind again. That's what you were saying. Yeah. So I had to keep taking it until I had to incrementally go down very slow. They said half, half, half. Well, I had to like quarter it, quarter it, quarter it to get you had to my wean blood. yourself. Wean I had yourself to wean off myself. Off. Yeah. So. So, you know, it's been, uh, it's been quite the trip, you know, to get I would, to where I'm at You're now. a strong person or you're good at covering things up because I would have never known any of this having the first time I've seen you since we last spoke was on that chat, you know, and you, you, you don't, you look so well. I feel so good and I feel so excited because now um, you know, I feel like a whole new life is beginning for me and my life as an artist and, you know, it's interesting, but, you know, I really have had a lot of success in my life and I've also had a lot of failure and because of my childhood, I didn't know how to accept failure because I already felt 
that no matter what I did, I was a failure. You know what I mean? And so when real failure came along, it, it was so hard for me because I was so attached to what I did and success as an identity Yeah, that, you know, I needed to fail. And I'm mm-hmm. so grateful for my failure because I needed to learn the lesson that I don't, you know, I'm not defined by what I do well and what I don't do well. Right. That I'm a human being with weaknesses, with strengths, and I, we all deserve to be honored, to be valued, just as we are. Yes. With our weaknesses and with our strengths. Yeah. You know, and I just, that is such an important lesson for a person like myself. I think it's an important lesson for all of us because we do live in a meritocracy where our successes merit us value. It merits us honor. It merits us being lifted up by society. And that's why Trump's get to the places that they're in. Right. But it's a, but it's a, it's not real, you know, you know, it's it's not real. Right. This uh, whole uh, COVID-19 thing, everybody's staying at home and not working and they're not traveling. Uh, There's no, sports there's no concerts i think that it's sort of revealing the truth that that we're more than that you know that we're that we got all uh, stuck in all these little cycles all these man-made things right of proving our worth right of proving our value right and now it's okay to not do all that stuff before you put somebody down who sort of checked out but now the whole yeah. world checked out right Right. You know, and I, you know, it's, and this is the other thing is how, I mean, I think competition's great in the sense of, Hey, it's, it's great to go out and compete and do fun things, but on a society level and in even the way we teach children in schools, like my niece um, has her first child in kindergarten and you know, somebody's, and the teacher's been saying, hey, he's falling behind, or he's, and she's like, he's five years old. Yeah. You know, it's like, he, this is his first year in school. What are you talking about? And just the fact that we have like standards. I know. And expect everybody, even though we all have different strengths and weaknesses, we expect everybody to be able to, oh, well, if you don't meet the standard, there's something wrong with you. Yes, the definition, like you said, we define ourselves by our success. What, right, because that's what America is about. It's about being successful, living the dream, but it's lopsided. It's not balanced. And I think that's one thing that COVID-19 has been showing us is that this world is way imbalanced. And yeah. it's almost, and you know, it's like Mother Nature is having her way with us and putting us in our place and saying, stay home and, and look at what the air quality has done. They say the ozone's been healing. Yeah. Um, you know, we need to have a little bit more balance. Right. I mean, uh, all these things that we think are so important, uh, governments and, uh, you know, states and nations, 
they're less important than this little virus right now. The little virus, you know, on the on the megaphone right now. Yeah, it is. And and you know, the thing that with my indigenous tribes um, art and something that when I started to study tribes is that I was like, wow, we really need to to understand the wisdom of people that lived with the earth, honored it, and were intuitively connected. We're nature. We are part of nature. Yes, of course. And we're so driven, I think, by ego to achieve, to create all these technologies and do all these things but is it really moving us forward no you know is it is it really you know for me i feel like to go forward we really need to go backwards yeah because we can't sustain living like this no and the world doesn't care nature doesn't care like if we screw it all up it just resets it just resets and I, you know, I think for a lot of people, this will be a reset, but I think for a lot of people there won't because I think that there's a lot of people that hurt that have, that don't know how much they hurt. And that's why there's so much hate out there because when you hurt, you hate. Yes. Yeah. And you think it's their fault yes. that you're hating. Yep. But it's not. And that's why, you know, like I said, as a teenager, I was a hateful, you know, middle finger flipping girl who was tough on the outside. Yeah. But it was really covering up who I really was. And that was a, a girl that was gentle, that had a gentle side, but knew she couldn't show it or else she wouldn't succeed. That's crazy, right? Yeah. And nobody was there to teach me thing, anything different. You know? You probably, you probably knew that. You know, enlightenment wasn't a big thing in the skateboarding world. No, it wasn't. And, <laughs> you know, and, and this is the thing is that, you know, here I am kind of on a precipice of like, wow, what's next? Yes. You know, what's next for me? Because... I've never been good at selling my own art. I've never been good at promoting myself. I've never, I've never even sold one of the pieces of these leather pieces of indigenous people. I got to have a museum show here in Tucson and I didn't get one client from that. And it was in there for six months. And yet I know in my heart of hearts that I will find support for my work. Yeah. And I will move forward with this. And, you know, I don't really know what the future holds, but I know that I have a lot of wisdom and a lot of healing to share with other people now. That's good. You're in such a different place than the last time I saw you. Yeah. I was still in a lot of denial when I saw you last time. I, I didn't know. I didn't know what was going on inside of me. I had no clue how to understand it, how to get in touch with it. I was still, you know, I was still just trying to survive. Yeah. Yeah. It seemed like you were trying to 
fix it. You didn't know how to fix it. But it seemed like you were trying. I, mean, I was. You had never met me, and you really told me a lot of things. You know. Yeah, I did. And, and I loved your skateboard stories too. I mean, you. It, this sounds so to a non-skateboarder. This sounds so uh, insensitive, but I know that you quit skateboarding because of the molestation. But as a skateboarder, I mean, for me, that's a double painful thing. Is to leave skateboarding must have been very difficult. It was because, you know, it was something I love to do. And, you know, I, I think because I was a champion and because I was on a team and because the person who was hurting me was in charge of that team. Yeah. I didn't know how to protect myself except to get away from it. Well, that makes sense. Absolutely. Yeah. You know what I mean? And because of those other aspects of my being, I'm 15 now. I'm becoming a woman. I want to have a boyfriend. I want to, you know, and all the other aspects of what was going on in my psyche, uh, I think contributed a lot to that. And, you know, honestly, it's one of those things where I stopped caring about myself. I stopped caring about my dreams. What's the point? Right. That's what I thought. What's the point of being a champion skateboarder, of doing all these things when all you do is get hurt? That's how it felt. That's how you framed it. That's how I framed it. But didn't you miss dropping in and going down and going up on the other side and grinding? And you know what? I just, I became a stoner. I, be, I totally covered it all up with drugs. And I was involved with that group of kids that's just like, who cares? You know, a bunch of abused little kids that were just like, let's party. Let's have a good time. Who cares? Just getting numb. Yeah. In fact... I graduated in 1981, and our saying for that year was, 81 is comfortably numb. <laughs> right. Sure. That was my whole generation. Absolutely. No, that was our culture. You know, and so, you know, I'm sure that had part to do with it, too, of, you know, the generation I grew up in. Yeah. yeah. And what was around me, and, it, you know, a lot of weed, oh, a yeah. lot of you know, a lot of drugs. Oh, my dad was a pharmacist. Oh, man. Yeah, so I stole a few. I bet you're popular. Uh, yeah. <laughs> right? But, uh, wow. yeah. That's crazy. That That's such, I mean, thank you so much for sharing that. That's just such a journey. Yeah, it has been for sure. And you know, it just feels so good to be in this place. And I, you know, I'm just so grateful that COVID-19 didn't happen a year ago when I was tripping. <laughs> Why? You know? Why? Well, because I was already in a panicked state. Right. You know what I mean? Right. And like I have learned and I'm still learning how to regulate my nervous system when something happens. Mm -hmm you know, of learning how to not go into that negativity, that thinking that, that upsets you, that, that makes you feel more scared. Is it an interruption of that old voice? That audio, what's yes, it is. Absolutely. And it's also um, introducing, it's like the dark and the light, you know, and it's, it's like, you know, fear is that darkness of like, ah, 
what's going to happen to me? You know, am I going to make it? Am I going to survive? It puts us into that mode of survival of, you know, getting our nervous system worked up. Even if it's just a mental concept. Yes. You don't have a tiger chasing you, but in your mind, you're in a place of survival where it's like, am I going to live or die? Yes. And a lot of people have these nervous systems where, you know, they, they're laying in bed, nobody's after them, nothing's happening, but in their mental mind, what they're picturing and thinking about is something that is like, oh my God, I don't have a job, am I gonna, you know, it's a life or death situation. Yeah. And it's so unhealthy for us to be in that. But, you know, I do believe, you know, this is the other thing, studying tribes and studying society, um, our society, and when you colonize a nation, if you think about it, the colonizers come in, they take the Native Americans' children and they say, we're going we're gonna to put our clothes on them, we're going to put them in our schools, we're going to train them with what we know and, and educate them. And in a sense, that's, that's dividing up a family. That's saying, we're going to take your children from you and we're going to program them and teach them certain things. True. And I think that we live in a society where not only were Native Americans colonized, but every single American is colonized because we live in a world where we're we go into our schools, we're trained with a certain mentality, we're taught certain things. Yes. And it's, it's a program. It's, it's a belief system that we're not even allowed to question. And if we do, we're anti-American. Right. right. You know what I mean? We're not patriots. We're not, you know, if we're not sold out for, you know, but I think we have to pan back and look at the picture, bigger picture. Which is, you know, which is that we all have ideas that have been put in our heads since childhood. And if we don't use our life as an opportunity to question those things and ask ourselves if those things are really true. Right. You know, then how do we grow and how do we change and be the best version of ourselves if we're just going along with the program? I mean, they want us to be that, don't they? I mean, they want to basically, we're a commodity, right? Like the matrix. We're not really electricity, but we're kind of like little money makers. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think the rabbit hole goes pretty deep on this one. But, you know, I, I, think, I think that it's a spiritual problem, you know what I mean? In, in the sense of mm-hmm. finding our value. Yes. It's like if we're all brought to this earth and if, if we're all brought here by the same force, by the same whatever it is, um, doesn't that mean, you know, and, and, it, and the other thing that I look at is like, okay, so I have a brother with cerebral palsy. Okay. And I also have a cousin that um, has cerebral palsy and I've known people uh, with children with down syndrome. I worked with a guy with down syndrome Mm -hmm. and I guess this is, this has really helped me in terms of value. It's like, 
how do we, when we see babies being born, yeah. and if we were to see all these babies, would we already be judging them and saying, oh, this one's bad, this one's good, this one's this, this one's that? No, no. we don't do that. So no. why do we ever start doing that? You're talking about the categorization? The categorization, because if somebody's born into this world with Down syndrome, does that mean they have any less value? No, of course somebody- not. Do you know what I mean? I absolutely do. As a matter of fact, I believe there's a reason that everybody's different. I do too. And the thing is, is that don't those that have strength need those that have weakness and don't that have weakness need those that have strength. Yes. It's all bigger than us has already figured all that stuff out. Probably, you know, and we think anything. Right. And it's just, you know, but we live in this world that, you know, we're put to task and we're judged and, you know, we judge others and we judge ourselves. And, you know, I, I just, I know that that is something that has harmed me to a great deal. And I've had to overcome it by learning that I didn't deserve that. And that, that doesn't mean anything about my value. That's just something I perceived yes. that, of a society that does, you know, perpetuate this. We even have a president that perpetuates the winners and the losers as if that is real. It's not. It is just like our, you know, just like our money system. It's like, Hey, let's just print some more money. Yeah. That whole money and it's money itself is a man made concept. It is. So, you know, I, I just think, you know, I don't know. All I know is that to love oneself, to have compassion on oneself, to learn that is, is, is a huge thing. And it's a huge thing that I think I hope for more people to be able to understand, you know, that when people are hating other people, it's really a projection of hating oneself. Yes. You know, and even like you said, people like your daughter, where she's so kind to others, but needs, still needs to cultivate that kindness towards self. Yes. You know, that we have to practice those things and we have to learn those things and, and, and value that as a, a thing to, to practice. Yeah, I, I tell her that you've already made it. You know, like you're here, you're alive, you're not dead. I mean, you're a winner. That right there, like, it's you're just either alive or you're dead. Yeah. You're alive, you know, you're here, and you want to, like you said, find a way to love yourself and, and discover this beautiful world. Right. You know, and I'm, and I'm always trying to figure out ways to teach her and my son how to find that. Yeah. Because I, I didn't have, like you, I didn't know these things when I was young. and. They just taught you math and English. They didn't teach you about self. No, they didn't. And, you know, we don't really live in a society that values the elderly either, right? I mean, right. we just don't. And it's like, why? Well, think about why? the situation we're in right now. The, the, the uh, treasures we're going to lose in music, in art, in uh, medicine, people that could totally help us, enlighten us, entertain us. Yeah. Yeah. And then I hear people saying, oh, this is crazy. We shouldn't have shut down this society. You know, uh, uh, older people, uh, you didn't ask us if we weren't willing to die for, 
for the economy. And I'm just going, really? It's amazing, isn't it? Really? We, we really are going to sacrifice the elderly right now because of money. Yes. But that's how, that's how attached we are to the cycles, you know, to, to this world we create. You know, we're very attached to it. It makes us feel safe. It makes us feel like we're in control. We don't want to know that we're just sort of on this wet rock spinning through space. Yeah. Right. And, you know, the other thing I thought about during this time was, I think somewhere in the Bible it says that every seven years people's debts would get canceled. Wouldn't that be amazing if we zeroed out the world sure. and just said, okay, nobody's got any debt anymore. Let's just forgive all debt and let's just start over. Sure. We made it up. Why can't we make that up too? I know. Why not? What <laughs> would, you know, but it's like, there's so much attachment to and people, this. And people that had more, they don't want that because they want it the way it was, uh, you know, six weeks ago. Now, what, what, do you think, what do you think we're going to return to when we do return to, you know, quote unquote, normalcy? Um, how, how, quick is it, how quick are people going to be used to or feel comfortable sitting with 10,000 people? At a I, don't think, I don't think we're going to feel comfortable for a while. I, I just watched what happened in Wuhan and, and people, first of all, it's like people are getting their temperatures checked before they get on a plane. I mean, it's like a crackdown, you know what I mean? People are still wearing masks, but yeah. 11 million people, I guess, went out of their houses all at once. Really? But people are still wearing masks. People cannot get onto public transportation unless they get their temperature taken. So, you know, because I think COVID virus is like, um, somebody told me it's within the cold virus thing okay and so they don't know if it's something that you can catch again like cold. oh i know right right so they oh. still don't know that stuff so i think they're still taking a lot of precautions right so i do think it's going to be a pretty a slow a slow trip, trip back right yeah yeah and the one thing too that i want to mention that i looked into is i looked up astrology and what and what they're saying right now and what they're saying is that the planets are in the same place they were in when there's been all the other pandemics and world wars yes and so the thing that really struck me about that was like wow this there is an there is a higher order to this disorder that's what i wonder is this a natural cycle yes it is it is, and it's written in the stars because the people that do that, and I've never studied astrology. I don't know the first thing about it, but the fact that we have a history um, of when things happened, and we also have a history of where the stars and planets were at when those things happened, and the people that go and study that and then put together, oh, wow, when these things are happening on Earth, this is where the stars are at and that there's a pattern. Yeah. Which means that in all of this, there's a higher order to it. Yes, absolutely. And that we can take comfort in that, that, you know, hey, everybody's going to live and everybody that's alive is going to die. Yes. And that in a way, do we really have control over when that's going to be? Right. I think we all try to control that stuff. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. It doesn't seem, it doesn't seem controllable. To me. It's not, you know, I don't yeah. think it is. 
I think when it's your time, it's your time. Yeah. Yeah. You know, but I think as humans, we look at it like, oh, we need safety. We need this. We need that. And in some ways, yeah, I do believe that. I think we need to be smart and use our brains. But in another way, it's just interesting that we, you know, that it's kind of like when it's your time, I guess it's your time. Right. Why fight it? (laughs) Why fight it? (laughs) <laughs> because it's the unknown and we we a lot of times fight the unknown right it's not comfortable it's it's not in our experience so fear comes up you know because we've never experienced something so of course you know that's how we have limitations on us yeah we have to yeah. get through or walk with the fear to get to be able to try something new and yet most things say in art and in life most sometimes beautiful things come from destruction and from pain. Yeah, they do. I feel that. I, I totally feel like, wow, you know, and like I said, I don't begrudge any of the things I've been through now that I'm on the other side. You know? <laughs> um, now that I've had a lot of my suffering relieved, yeah. but you know, like I said, it wasn't, it didn't happen for no reason. I'm thankful for it. I'm thankful yeah that I had to learn compassion. I'm thankful that I've had to learn empathy and it's even deeper now than it was before. And it's, you know, it's, it's not for the same reasons, but it's like, you know, for me, I feel like in my art, what I've realized is that the art itself is a vehicle for me to connect with other people. And that the connection to other people is what I enjoy the most, yeah. is dealing with a client, is creating a piece for a client and then getting to see their face when it's all done. That's what kept me going when I was in the studios and when I worked on movies and when I made you know these things was the, the people that had designed these things that I got to make, what they, you know that interaction with them. And, and when I go forward and do art, I realize that, hey, that's the most important thing for me is my relationship with the people that buy my art, that support me, and that um, you know believe in what I'm doing because we have that connection of, of, of you know, why I'm doing my art, what it's about, that it is about empathy, that it is about healing. So you 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 are highly motivated by the human aspect of what you I really am, you know? I really am. That is I think, you know, when I think back to the best moments in life, it's it's connecting with people and having deep conversations and staying up all night talking with my brother or my friend or somebody where you know, we're just contemplating life and and having a good time and and it's feeling like, you know, we're, we're connected and, and we understand each other. Right, right. You know, I, it's so funny because you and I don't know each other at all. And I remember the first time I met you in, in, in your studio, in, in, it was in North Hollywood or where was it? Yeah, North Hollywood. I mean, you have such a wonderful sort of th- rhythm about you that I felt very comfortable speaking to you, you know. And I never knew you. I just, I just love Skatopia and I was... I, and I photograph a lot of these women who skate, and I wanted to talk to you. And, and uh, there's something about you. You have some kind of a thing. 
I don't, I don't, I don't, know. I don't know what that means, but uh, <laughs> I think I'm, I'm hoping that people will listen to this and watch it and maybe find little bits and pieces that they can use. I hope so too. You know, I do. And, you know, like I said, I'm kind of at a new place in life and I don't know what the future holds for me. And like I said, I've never been good at selling my own art and, and um, promoting myself, but I hope that I can connect with some people and, you know, um, create some kind of relationships where I can use my life and be more visible and talk more about these things. Because I do believe that, you know, when we heal, we can't help, we can't help but want to help others heal. Because we know what it's like to feel trapped, to feel, to suffer, to not understand ourselves. And when you get to the other side of that, really all you want to do is help other people that are suffering to get out of it. Because you know how alone and horrible and misunderstood and, and helpless and hopeless, you know, powerless. It's that powerlessness. And I think healing is empowering. Yes. And, and it's one of the only things I think is, that's worth doing on this planet is assisting people. It is. And, you know, this is the thing, though, is like people like myself, I created a, 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 I created a identity around helping others because yeah. that's how I got loved. That's not the kind of helping we need to be doing. Right. One right. has to help oneself first because oh. some of us create identities around being kind to others and, 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 and helping others and wanting to do all this stuff for others because we lack this thing within that needs to be loved and approved of. And how, what's the best way to be approved of is by helping somebody else. So if that's our motivation, then we're really not doing it from a place of healing and wisdom. It's more from what, a state or what? Or uh, it's, yeah, it is. It's, 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 um, it's our distraction. It's the yes. way we distract ourselves from feeling bad. Or feeling. Or feeling. Feeling, period. Yeah. You know, it's just, you know, you know, we were raised in a generation where, for me, when I was sad or angry, I was told to go to my room and not come out until I have a smile on my face. Yeah, it was not, it was not something that was approved of, no. It wasn't. So how do we manage our emotions if we've been told our whole life that half of the emotions or the negative part of the emotions we have are not acceptable. They're no good. They're no good. They're not acceptable. How dare you, you know, how dare you cause me to have to carry this burden of your anger and your sadness. <laughs> True. Right? Yeah. That's pretty heavy. Yeah, it is because that's what we're told. And so then we don't know how to carry our own burden. Well, we don't get to express anger and express sadness because we feel that it's something to be ashamed of right and the thing is is that anger really is a thing that means you need to have boundaries it means somebody's crossing over and hurting you and i didn't learn that that's what i'm telling you my childhood set me up to be a victim of molestation right, right. i think that's one of the most important things that you said during this talk i mean that's a pretty deep statement 
that, that somebody, somebody could take that young person and really understand what you're saying. It could save them from a lot of sadness. They could. Right. Because you want that approval. You want all those things and you don't have boundaries. And you're set up that way. Because you have not learned how to have boundaries. Nobody taught you. And this is the thing that I, this is the problem I have a lot with religion of like, you're going to hell. Um, why would I go to hell for something that I was trained to do that I was taught to do and that I don't even know is something that's causing me all this pain and, and causing me to make really bad decisions in my life. Right. You know what I mean? Right. You would like, never do that if you had the correct information in the first place. No, I wouldn't. And I'm not saying that, you know, uh, um, you know, it's almost like if you don't realize that you make mistakes and, and change them, you're going to be in hell for eternity. I don't, I can't believe something like that because to me, it's ignorance. So if I'm ignorant throughout my whole life, I'm going to spend an eternity being punished for my ignorance. Right. That makes no sense. It doesn't. Because the thing is, is that, you know, and I was raised religious and I've been abused in my religion over and over and over and shamed. I know some people haven't. And, and I'm grateful that some people haven't, but it's very hard for me to buy into religion when it's been something in my life that has abused me. You know, I don't blame God for that or anything like that. But for me, uh, my understanding of how to heal and isn't religion there to help us heal Right. And a lot of times it just becomes more of the same of judgment, shame, you know, punishment, which I don't believe any of those things help us heal. Is that because people have religion? I don't know. I mean, I think it's just because I think people that have truly been healed, it's a, you know, what heals understanding compassion love forgiveness all the things that religion is supposed to teach that doesn't necessarily do that for some well, reason it doesn't necessarily exist in all in all places where religion is i i don't think so because i i think when we say how, oh sorry okay um, come on stop okay um I don't know. I, I guess I just think that when something says, when something says I'm better than you or, you know, where we're judging other people, yeah. that's just not the place to come from. It doesn't help us. It doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't bring us together. It doesn't reach out and, and, and I, I you know, Personally, I don't think Jesus was the type of person that uh, judged people. And, and, you know, the person that I see in terms of the story of who Jesus is, is kind of like, wow, Jesus, a woman cried on his feet and wiped them with her hair. And to me, if that was to happen in a church today, 
boy, I think they'd be looked at with as like, that's super provocative and how dare you do that? Right, right. You know what I mean? It's yeah. like, because anything, you know, I think Jesus was definitely, you know, progressive and different than the society was then and walked around and was accused of hanging out with sinners. Yes. You know what I'm saying? And yeah. for some reason, Christianity, the one that I experienced was the was opposite of that it's like you know you can't hang out with sinners you can't do this you can't you know do that and unfortunately it's the exact opposite of who jesus was right so it's hard for how me how did to that get flipped over how did that get how do you reckon that got flipped over i don't know dude i don't know <laughs> I, I don't know how that gets flipped around, but I guess it's just, it's the ego of the human being that's running the show, you know, because a lot of these churches and a lot of people that build things and that win are driven by ego. For and sure. So I guess a lot of our things and a lot of things that succeed on earth is driven by ego. Yeah, power. People are in the pursuit of power. Right. In which it's like, you know, empowerment is different from power. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. You know what I mean? It's like, as you heal, it's like, I don't, I don't want to have power over other people. I, I'm just learning how to have power over myself. Yeah. You yeah. know? And you know, some people that is their goal in life. They want to be powerful, huh. not necessarily empowered. Absolutely. Yeah. You know? I'd say that. So, anyway, it, it's been wonderful talking with you again, Ken. And thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to tell my story. And yes. well, I hope that people can relate to it. And well, let's um, keep in touch. And uh, are you guys still doing the B and B? Yes, we are. We're not doing it right now. The, you know, actually the minute we, we were ready, uh, the COVID yeah. virus came around and, you know, I do have to be careful because I, you know, I have suffered from an autoimmune disease. I don't know now that I've healed so much. I don't know how compromised my immune system is, but yeah. I don't want to take any chances. No, better to be safe than sorry. Right. And, um, you know, I, I would like to end on uh, our Airbnb after this will be opening. And um, really, it's, 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 a, it's our studio, our gallery, and it's a retreat center. We've got an um, infrared sauna, a hot tub, a pool. And it's really a place that I want people to come to to do some self-care, you know, do some healing work. and and connect with us as two artists, as people, you know, who are on a journey, you know, of self-discovery, of empowerment, of healing. And, uh, you know, I really look forward to people coming to stay with us and, you know, support our vision and support the work that we're doing. Okay. So the last thing I would have to take your picture, uh, on, I know this is weird. It's on the, it's on the computer screen, but uh, I'm just gonna take a. I'm just gonna snap maybe I don't know five or ten shots. Okay. You can do whatever you want. I'll I'll I'll, uh, 
just, I just put it on my little graphic thing, but I got something. So thank you again. Let's talk, let's talk, you know, sometime again and, and, uh, and, uh, you know, st stay well. And, um, sure will. Say hello to Kenny, hey, right? Do you, know, do you know Cindy Whitehead? Yes. I don't know her. I'd sure like to meet her and talk with her because I know she's doing some really cool stuff right now. And You don't know Cindy? I don't. Oh. Yeah, I'll put you guys in connection. Okay, cool. Because I'd really like to, you know, it's, I, I really don't, I've seen a little bit about what she's doing and... I'd just like to hear more about it. You didn't skate with her back in the day? You know what, dude? I hate to tell you, but I really don't remember. I mean, there's certain people that I were really close to. And then there was, you know, when you are a kind of a famous skateboarder, a yeah. lot more people know you yeah. than you know people. Did you so, guys have a, what was your local park? Uh, the Concrete Wave. Oh, really? Yeah. So did you know Skip Disney and Neil Blender and all those guys? Oh, gosh, yes. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, I know all those guys. I And, you know, um, and the people that skated there a lot were Steve Olson, um, uh, Greg Ty. Do you remember Greg Ty? Of course. Of course. Yeah, yeah Greg Ty. We were best friends. Uh, Greg Ty was – we were both on – um gordon and smith and yeah. he had a truck and he was the guy we i would drive down to san diego with him to pick up all of our gear that's killer yeah yeah we, yeah, were, but, we, were, we were like total best friends and i didn't you know unfortunately i lost track of so many skateboarders after i quit and and like i said dude i didn't tell anybody nobody knew what happened yeah, you kind of slipped out I just slipped out and, and, and nobody, nobody asked, nobody, you know, so pretty much nobody knew what happened, but, uh, I mean, around the time you left, it began to sort of crumble because of the, they started closing all the parks. And yeah. Because of the, um, the legal aspects, yeah. the, mm -hmm. the, um, liability. Right. So I didn't know you were a concrete wave person. Okay. Oh yeah, dude. I, I lived in Anaheim. I was only like, a 10 minute skateboard ride mm -hmm. from there right. but um it would be cool to get together with a bunch of skaters again and um i actually uh i don't know if you saw this on my facebook page it's way down now but i did a thing called female storytellers I, and, I I told, yeah. and i told my story I about saw skateboarding that. and you know talked about for the first time publicly on a stage about you know what happened to me and uh the woman there's a woman who's won a moth award her name is molly mccloy and she wants to get a bunch of young female skaters and older female skaters to tell skateboard stories on stage that'd be great and she, and she asked me if i was interested now you know this whole virus came about and of course people but i really want to help make this happen to where uh, the younger skateboard girls and the older skateboard uh, girls get together and tell our stories. I, I know, I, I, obviously I know a lot of the younger ones. Um, I know some of the older ones, you know, Alan and, uh, uh, you know. Uh, Peggy Oki, do you know Peggy? I don't know her very well, but I, I always see um, Cindy and, um, there's three of them that I always see. I, now, I don't know why I'm blanking on their names, but you know, those girls that I used to look at in Skateboarder Magazine, you know, whoever they are. Uh, Kim you know. Cespedes. 
Yes, I, don't, I never see her on the decks. Of, you know, I, I normally see of the skater girls on the decks of like contests and events. Right. That's where yeah. I always see Cindy and and um, I used to sometimes see Ali, Alan Berryman and um, there's I have so many to remember, but but uh, that would be a great thing. I mean, um, you have no you would have no problem getting in contact with those people. I mean, you are Janet Payne. I mean, come on. <laughs> You're a rad skater. I mean, I, I have a few photos of you um, skating that capsule bowl. That thing was no joke. Oh, man. You got to send me those. I will. Yeah. yeah you're that, thing. That, was no, that thing was no joke. You know, I, had a, I, I lost my, all my skateboard photos. Oh. I lived with somebody, and I left it somewhere, and it got thrown away, and it was my scrapbook. And it had pictures of me at one and a half years old riding a skateboard. Wow. I didn't realize it went back that far. Yeah, dude. I was, I, I had balance. Like my mom was like, I could, I could pull myself up on a table with one hand when I was little and just scrape it. And I pull, I'd like scrape everything off the table. And she said the butter would go down and I could climb and I could do all these crazy things. And Wow. And, and, you know, skate with one skate on and stuff. Really? Yeah. So I, I just had incredible balance from when I was very young. I walked at nine months. I was walking. So when you went to Concrete Wave, you had already known how to skate. Uh, not in pools or not right. in any kind of, uh, on flat ground. Sure. Right. You know, I was doing 360s and stuff on a plastic board with urethane wheels. Um, but, you know not until I went to um, Concrete Wave did I, you know, and dude, I only paid one time to get into Concrete Wave. How did you manage that? Uh, well, I think I'm, I was a pretty uh, enterprising young woman. I actually said, hey, uh, there was, I think Paul Cespedes, I can't remember what his name was, Paul Cassiano. Yes, yeah. Paul Cassiano and Guy Grundy worked at Concrete Wave. Oh, I didn't know that. Yes. And I said to them, hey, do you need somebody to help pick up pads and sweep and collect the things after the sessions? And, you know, they were teenagers, older teenagers, maybe early 20s. Yeah. And they're like, oh, my gosh, this little girl's going to do my work for free and I get paid for it. Heck, yeah. I did so, the same thing at Skatopia. You did? Yeah. Yeah. I so I that's how I, got I started life. to work for free to get in for free yeah. and they let me do it. Wow. That's cool. Yeah. You loved it then. I did. And you know, Skatopia, I was thinking about it. Um, Skatopia is where um, there was a contest uh, and um, I had just gotten on Gordon and Smith and guess who asked me to be on Gordon and Smith? Who? Stacy Peralta. Whoa. He asked me to be on Gordon and Smith. I, and I was on Sims at the time and I was like, Oh my God, you know, like Stacy Peralta. And we became friends, um, at that time. And I remember being at Skatopia at a contest yeah. and somebody with Gordon and Smith had a camera and came with, with Stacy Peralta and Stacy was like, this is our new team member, Jana Payne, blah, blah, blah. And like embarrassed the tar out of me. And, um, 
Yeah. So, and you know, this is really interesting, but I felt really snubbed by uh, Stacy Peralta when I saw him in my twenties. Like he acted like he wasn't interested in hearing about me or anything. And I was so sad because he didn't know why I quit skateboarding and he didn't know why I did what I did. And it was almost like he was mad at me for mm. giving up on it. Mm. And I never felt like I got to connect with him again. And I really would like to because, man, he's a movie maker. I wish that we could make a movie about the females in skateboarding. There should be one, yeah. You know, because it's like, you know, how many people, how many girls got molested during that time and people didn't know what was happening? How, yeah. how you know, people don't know the stories and these are the stories that should be told too, because, you know, some of us were robbed of our future. Yes. You know and, what I mean? Yeah. Not to mention you guys were American pioneers of this original sport. I mean, you were there when things were not invented. You saw things being invented. In a right. And who gets we to did. see that? We did. And we were radical. I mean, you know, we were the first girls that were like, Hey, I got enough. I, I am fearless and I'm going to drop in this pool. Yeah. Who does you that? Know? Who does that? You know what I mean? Yeah. Your peers were not doing that. No, they weren't. And even guys weren't as, you know, I mean, we were better than a lot of guys were. Yeah, I know. Not the best guys, but you know what I'm saying? But the thing is we that were. you guys were skateboarders and this only happened once in history. Female. Right, right. And I wish, I wish he would do a, a film about that. And I would love to talk to him because I really, I just remember seeing him as an adult and feeling like he was totally uninterested because I sabotaged my career and he didn't know why. Mm. So I'd sure love for him to get a hold of this. You, you never know. I mean, this is, a, this, this is for public consumption for free, you know, for the good of skateboarding and ideas about art and ideas about being a human. Yeah. And you'd be well, surprised who re watches, listens to some of these podcasts. So you never know. Well, I would like to give my email for people. If anybody wants to send me an email, you can send it to Jana Booker 63 at gmail.com. That's J A N A. B O O K E R 63 at gmail.com. Cool. Well, this is rad. Uh, I'll get in contact with Cindy Whitehead and um, stay in touch, you know? Okay, I will, Ken. Thanks so much for the opportunity. Appreciate yeah, thanks for uh, hanging out. I'm gonna, it might take me a second here as I turn this thing off. Put my glasses back on. <laughs> you don't have to smile or anything like that. You know, it's very casual. That's okay. <laughs> I'll see you later, Jana. Okay. Bye, Ken. Bye.